thank you, worship team. Um, I confess, I just wanted you guys to keep singing that song over and over and over again. Um, so good. And thank you for reading uh, the text for us tonight, Sarah Claire. Um, my name is Keith Case, and we want to welcome you here to Providencia. Uh, we are living in unprecedented times. Uh, we still have our masks on, and we still have a lot of hand sanitizer, and we still are trying to follow regulations to ensure everyone's safety, uh, specifically the vulnerable among us. But we thank you for being here tonight. Um, tonight is the night that we've reopened our kids' ministry, and that's a really exciting step for us. And my wife, Amy, has worked really hard on that. And so if you see her tonight, please thank her for all she's doing there. It's, it's been quite a lot to get all of those things lined up so that the kids can be safe and that uh, the parents can, can feel safe with bringing their kids here. Um, as Sarah Claire read, she, she read from the book of Philippians, and we've been in a study for the last four Sundays. This is our last Sunday in the book. In chapter four, Paul's final reading, and the title for tonight's sermon is uh, Embody the Gentleness of Grace. Uh, Drew kicked us off when we started this series uh, in verse one, chapter one, and, and really driving home on this point that we as a church are bound together by grace. And then last, the week after that, I talked about the advantage of grace, uh, really leaning into the advantage of grace. And then last week, after the election, Drew reminded us that we are citizens of grace, that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and that that applies to the here and now, uh, to where our allegiance is as his people. And as we turn to chapter 4, in many ways, Paul is going to summarize what he's talked about in the other three chapters. And what is it that Paul is hoping to give to this church that is living in a divided world? A world where chaos seems to be the theme of the day. What is it that he wants to give to us? Gentleness. The gentleness of grace. That the gentleness of grace would be what we would be famous for in the world. Oh, that it would be so. I want to say that on Friday night when I was sitting on my couch, I got to watch the premiere of David Urbanati and um, Taylor Smyth's music video. If you haven't seen it, you got to check it out, Transient Friends. And I was just sitting there watching my friend's music video and just seeing how creative they were. It just seeing the beauty of what they had made and getting carried away in the melodies. And there was this gift in that moment just to be able to see my friends up there making this music. And then this morning I woke up uh, to Caroline's music video. I know John did the tracks for the drums and some other people here may have done stuff in that uh, music as well or in that song. But I woke up this morning and just listened to Caroline singing to me from Nashville uh, in my bed and her voice and just the gentleness of her voice and what a gift it was. Um, when I was in high school, there was this one guy on campus. I was in ninth grade. He was a senior. And he was the one guy that I wanted to be like. Um, he was the guy who, he was, he was pretty stylish, I have to admit. He was a pretty fashionable guy. Um, he played soccer, and he was really good at soccer. And he also was this thing that I thought was really bizarre, but had just happened to me. 
is that he followed Jesus. And I had just started following Jesus. And I was super scared of what that was going to mean for me in my life. Um, you know, whether I was going to be able to still have friends or not. And this guy had friends. He had a lot of friends. But the thing about him that I really looked up to about him, the thing about him that was so um, intriguing to me was his gentleness. I don't know if you had a friend in high school or somebody that you looked up to when you were in high school who was in high school who displayed gentleness. But, but this man, uh, Adam Meter, displayed gentleness. I happen to be friends with his uh, younger brother, Josh. And for those of you who've been around for a while, uh, Josh was my friend who died three years ago. Um, and so I went to that funeral up in Tennessee, and, and Adam shared this story. Uh, that he was upstairs at his house when he got the call from our friend Tommy, who lived in Nashville where Josh was. And, and Tommy was calling Adam to tell him, uh, Adam, uh, Josh has, has died. And Adam said when, when he heard that, that his knees buckled underneath him and that he fell on the floor of his bed. And he began just weeping. His 17-year-old daughter, Mary, was downstairs, and she came running up the stairs. And when she saw her dad there on the floor, she got down next to him. She wrapped her arms around him and just started weeping with him. She had no idea what had happened. She hadn't heard the news. Her dad could not even get out the news to his daughter. She held him there for 10 minutes, weeping with her dad. And then she said to her dad, may I bless you? And she put her hand upon his head and said, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the reason that Mary was able to bless her father was for the last 17 years, every night when Mary would go to bed, her dad, Adam, would go into her room and talk to her about her day. And show her such gentleness. And then before he would leave the room, he would put his hand upon her head and bless her. And he would say this prayer over her. And 17 years later, Adam is laying there on the floor and his daughter comes in. And she blesses him in a way that she will probably never understand. I've had this experience because uh, my daughter Maddie, uh, I would pray with her at night, I'd pray with all my kids, but... For whatever reason, Maddie, she just got into the habit of wanting to bless me. And I would be on my way to church. I'd be getting ready to leave the house. She'd say, Dad, 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 come here, come here, come here. Right before I leave, she'd put her hand on my head and say, bless you. Bless you, Dad. I'd be leaving for a meeting in the morning before she'd go to school. She'd put her hand on my head and bless you. 
Kids, if you're watching from home, you can bless your parents. They need kindness. They need it as much as you need it. And Adam brought this gentleness and this kindness. Tonight as we dive into this text, there's three things that we are going to show, and that is, number one, that gentleness has come near. Number two, that gentleness where you resisted. Pay attention to that. Gentleness where you resisted. And then lastly, gentleness all around us. Verses 4 through 7, Genesis, our gentleness has come near. Um, in verse 4, you might remember back to uh, when Drew started off this series, that he read the text, and then he read the Drew Melton version. Does everybody remember that? And it was really, really good, right? Well, I did it, and it's a lot wordier, okay? But this is Keith's version of what Paul is saying in, in Philippians 4, verse 4. You all, collectively, as the body, always consider the grace of God. See it with your eyes. Hear it with your ears. Absorb it in your skin. Embrace it with your arms. Breathe it into your lungs. Let it permeate your digestive system. Absorb it into your bones, into the marrow. Let it become the baseline of your nervous system. Let it become your muscle memory. Let it move you on the dance floor of life together. Paul says it a lot shorter than that. He says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. But that word for rejoice the base of that word is the word grace. And what Paul is saying, he's, when he says rejoice, he's saying consider grace. Delight in the grace of God. Never stop thinking about the grace of God that it becomes a part of your bones. That it becomes a part of your body. That it becomes a part of your life. And then he goes on in verse 5. Again, my version. Let gentleness be the muscle memory not just of your life individually, but of your community. Because gentleness has come near. Grace has come near. Jesus is near. And Paul says the same thing to Titus, actually. He says, always be gentle toward everyone. And gentleness as we understand it in this text, just to expand it a little more, is a justice beyond ordinary justice. It fulfills not just the letter of the law, but it fulfills the spirit of the law. And Jesus has come close to the ground. He has wrapped his arms around us. He has wept with us. And he has blessed us. Gentleness. When we want to contrast gentleness, we talk about violence. 
This is a quote from Parker Palmer about violence. Violence is what happens when we don't know what else to do with our suffering. Let me read it again. Violence is what happens when we don't know what else to do with our suffering. This past Thursday morning, I got to have breakfast with Israel Balderas. We get together every couple of weeks. Uh, if you know Israel, Israel was a journalist, uh, anchorman up in the D.C. area. His wife, they were both in TV production. They moved down here. He, he's also a lawyer, uh, and he's a professor at PBA in journalism. And so we had uh, breakfast together. If you want to know about the history of journalism and politics, the relationship between those two, it's a little bit of a hot button these days, uh, take Israel breakfast. Take him out and ask him about it. Ask him about the history of it, because to understand the history, it's, it's wild. Because Israel has worked in so many different facets of it. And he's got such a wide knowledge of the history. But he said, Keith, you know, one of the things that pastors must do in this country right now is they must focus on the common good. They must cast a vision for the common good. And I said, Israel, you're going to be so proud of me. I'm leaving here right now, and I'm going to a conference that we are hosting at Providencia called the Common Good Conference. I mean, that's pretty quick deliverables right there, right? So we had a conference here on Thursday morning from 10 to 2 called the Common Good Conference. I also work uh, with an organization called Made to Flourish. And... This whole conference was all these incredible leaders in, in industries and culture that are doing beautiful things in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, people that have created new apps, uh, people that are casting uh, new visions for how employees should be treated, uh, about environmental uh, ways that we can care for, uh, for and steward the environment better, the earth better. All these really cool things. And towards the end, they bring the, the, the home run hitter in, right? And, and who is that? It's the counselor. They bring in the counselor, Kurt, Kurt Thompson. Uh, he's written a book, many books, but one of them is called The Anatomy of the Soul. If you talk to Sarah Claire about it, she said, she'll say that he basically outlines all the things that we emphasize here at Providence. So definitely get the book. If, if you're on our texting chain, you've gotten a link to the conference. Um, and I would advise you to go and watch Kurt Thompson speak at the end of that. If you don't watch anything else. If you did not get that link, please let me know because we want to add you to that. But Kurt Thompson speaks at the end of it. And he's talking about anxiety. He's talking about leading in this world today. And many leaders in this world are dealing with being overwhelmed and anxiety. And, anxiety. and, and all of us are, Right? And one of the things that Kurt, he actually doesn't unpack it so much in this talk, but he unpacks it in other places, is the connection between anxiety, feeling overwhelmed, and shame. The connection between anxiety and shame. See, shame is this uh, thing, as we look out into the world and we see all the things happening, we see all of these moving pieces, and there's massive moving pieces happening right now. Shame kicks in, that voice kicks in and says, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I can't handle this. And so shame basically brings us down 
and we begin to think, I'm going to end up living in a box under a bridge, and I will be forgotten. If you trace the anxiety back, or you trace it out, that's where we think we're going. That we're going to be left alone and isolated. And since shame makes us feel so horrible, we don't want to talk about it. And so we isolate these parts of us that have anxiety, these parts of us that feel like we're not enough. And this is what drives our anxiety. Because those things stay in hiding. These feelings of being overwhelmed stay in hiding. And Paul is saying, pay attention to these places. And that brings us to our, seventh, our second point, gentleness where you resist it. Gentleness where you resist it. And again, I, I wrote my version here. Uh, in verse 6, together, again, corporately together, be mindful of where we find anxiety in ourselves, in our bodies. Don't run from those places. No, 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 no. Be curious about those places. Find those places. Explore those places. Bring those places gently into the light, into the gentle hands of Jesus and each other. So come out of hiding. And then in verse 7, it says the peace of God, Paul, and the shalom of God, the wholeness that God brings. See, anxiety, anxiety divides us. Anxiety tears us apart. And it, there's some parts that we're, we say are acceptable, that these parts can be seen, but these parts can't. These parts have to be hidden. And so we live with that tension of, of hiding and Paul's saying, no, no, we can be known, we can be whole, we can experience this shalom, the wholeness that God brings, Jesus himself, which is beyond even our logic, will be our God. Actually coming out of hiding, actually experiencing wholeness, wholeness in Jesus will actually be our guard in the world. See, he's, Paul is saying, you're living into vulnerability. When you come out of hiding, you're living into vulnerability, but you discover this incredible thing called wholeness. It doesn't mean that you won't experience pain. You will experience pain. You will experience suffering, and people can hurt you. But you will be whole. And Christ will guard us in that wholeness. He will guard us in that wholeness. And he's inviting us again, you all, to do this in the midst of a divided and exhausted world. And that this is a communal thing that we do together. I mean, when I read this text, the reason I keep saying that is when I read this text, it like took me back to when I was like 15, Bible study in my youth pastor's office, and I was reading this as if it just applied to me. And it was my little Bible study I was going to do at my home. And I was going to be anxious about nothing. And I was going to do all these things that I was supposed to do. And I thought I just had to do this by myself. But Paul is so communal. This book, is, this book he's written, this letter he's written, is to the community. 
This is something that we practice together. So I'm going to give you a little communal exercise right now to just check in to see if you have any anxiety. Are you feeling anxious about anything? And if so, can you identify where in your body you're feeling? So, quick story, I had, uh, AHA has those new drinks that have uh, black cherry and coffee, and I forgot that they had caffeine in them, and I had like 10 of them today. So before I got up here, I was like, I feel so anxious. I'm so nervous, and I'm preaching on anxiety tonight. Um, but I, I was like, I just feel like so weird, and I feel it in my heart, and I feel it in my stomach. So if you can, close your eyes, and just maybe place your hand, or hands, where do you feel in your body, if anything? And that you would just take some deep breaths here. I'm going to give, give us about 20 seconds. Take two or three deep breaths. And that you would offer gentleness to that part of your body. gentleness. He says we can understand the places in our stories where we have felt like we're not enough. Where we felt like we were going to be forgotten. Maybe as we look into the future we feel like oh my gosh I'm going to be forgotten. Like tonight on the way here to church I was like yelling at uh, my kids. I was like get in the van we got to go I'm going to be late. And if I'm late, then people are going to be mad at me. And if people are mad at me, they're not going to like me anymore. And then they're going to like not like me at this church anymore. And then I'm going to be fired. And then I'm going to be under the bridge by myself. That's where I was going, right? I didn't like work it all out that way, but that's where I was going. But what Kurt Thompson and I, I believe also what Paul is inviting us to, because he invites us into this practice together, this whole thing about being don't be anxious about anything, like make these things known. He's not just saying do it in isolation, that we do it together. And, and in that, that we begin to see, we begin to uncover those times in our lives when we were forgotten. And that if we can go back to those places in our stories where we experience that kind of shame, and that we can bring gentleness to that place, that it truly is transformative. Bringing that shame into the light and the anxiety that is connected to it, it heals us of our violence.
Um, on Saturday night, we went to the beach. That's been our norm for a while now. And uh, Moani was there hanging out, um, Blake and Moombi's uh, daughter, and and she was interacting with our kids, and and she's like, I don't know, like not that many months old, but she's getting big. And as we're walking away, uh, Harper's walking next to me, he has this question, he said, Dad, what baby, or how do babies think if they don't think in language? Essentially what he's asking me is like, if they don't know language, how do they have a thought? How do they think? This is a pretty good question, right? 14 years old, I mean, it's pretty good. Um, and so I was sitting there and I was like, that's a great question. And I like turned and I said it to everybody that was there at the beach and Harper got embarrassed. Uh, and he's like, Dad, you're making such a big deal about this question. I was like, it's a good question, son, it's a good question. Um, what do babies think? In it? And babies think in, in visions and images and feelings. They don't have words. And in fact, you probably, when you think, don't necessarily think in, in words. You, as you're thinking, you're not having like thoughts necessarily going through your head like on a you know, keyboard, like you're typing on a piece of paper. But there's vision, there's like something being played out in your head. And for a little baby, um, what's being played out and what's being written in their, in their minds is those things which are giving them attention. So if you just sat there and looked at a baby and just gave it attention and just kept giving it attention, you could never give that baby enough attention. But that baby would love you. Oh my gosh. That baby would love you. And you'd be shaping how that baby would be thinking about reality. This is reality. I get this incredible thing all the time, this attention, that they would feel so secure in their attachment that guess what? They would start like wandering off maybe from the attention. And then they would look back. Are you still looking? Are you still looking? Oh, I feel secure. I'll just walk a little further and keep going. But the attachment that happens for us is so important as children. So the things that are giving us attention, also the things that we're giving attention to are beginning to write out these scripts, these narratives, these, these visions in our mind. And those things that give us attention and those things that we're giving our attention to are the things that are going to make us into who we are going to become. It's not like all of who we're going to become, but they're going to begin to shape us into who we are going to become. And Paul knows about neuroplasticity. Maybe. But he's telling us, he's taking us back to the confession that Drew gave us earlier. And he's saying, pay attention to these things. I mean, we all have those things in our, in our pockets, those devices, I think, that, that are begging for our attention. And you've watched the, the social media, you know, the, the Netflix film and the... These different things that are just begging for our attention and trying to take our attention from us, trying to distract us. By the way, what are they distracting us from? So often the shame. You know, in the social media space, please like me, please don't forget me. 
give me that hit, that like, you know, that dopamine release, like give it to me, you know? Don't forget me. And so we're so distracted. And Paul is saying, no, 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 we need to focus our attention. Because where your attention is, is what you are going to become. And that is still true today, even as an adult. That you can change. Our minds are still shapeable. And Paul is asking, focus on these things. And if you focus on these things, taking it back to that verse that was so important earlier, our gentleness might be evident to all. And listen to these things that he says, and this is my, my summary. Finally, providencia. Take time to breathe in these things. To set your intention with Gina, right? Uh, to meditate. To daydream. To let your imagination be stirred by these. By the truth. By the weight of glory. For justice. That things would be the way that they are to be. Dream about that. Imagine it. That things would no longer be corrupted. That they would be renewed and healed. Embrace such things. Dream about it so much that it becomes your intention. It captures your attention. Make these things famous among your imaginations and watch how they change the way you and I live. Watch how they change the way we together live. Watch how the shalom of God will be built up around and throughout you. In our shame, we hide. And when Christ came near in gentleness, and the world pushed back, and the world yelled, crucify, but gentleness kept coming. Jesus keeps coming, and death would not stop him would not stop his gentleness. And finally, in verse 9, the shalom of God, if you bring it in, you will live it out together. I gave that story at the beginning. Imagine how my friend and daughter blessed him. Remember that story. But imagine a whole community of people, of us together, being a blessing like that to each other. That we together would hold each other. That we would learn to hold our city. That we would bring that offering, that gift of wholeness to the city. Of shalom. Let us pray.